show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I have to tell you, it's been an interesting week as I've watched the news unfold and I've watched the um, the, the, the social media posts unfurl as well. And it's, uh, it's brought me back to this question of identity. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And it's just, it's really important to me right now. And, and this is maybe my growing edge a little bit. Uh, it's something that I'm also noticing in my children. The question is, where do we place our identity and our sense of belonging? Uh, I, I've watched a lot of my friends uh, doom scroll, as it's apparently called, uh, both before the election and after the election from my friends on on different sides of the uh, of the aisle. And I'm really intrigued by all of this because um, ultimately politics is important. It is. Uh, it, it's the way by which we can affect policy change that matters in in our culture today. And yet, politics is not who we are uh, ontologically, right? We have been made uh, through our baptism into new creatures. And we have a new way of relating to the world as, as sojourners and strangers passing through as we make our way to our heavenly home. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we have no patriotism, but it does mean that we recognize first and foremost and most fully that our citizenship is primarily in heaven. So, I want to encourage you to uh, to shut off Facebook for maybe just for a day. Maybe, hey, listen, start with 15 minutes, right? And let's turn our attention and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith. And I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to do, to, to shed uh, all of our attachments to the things that are right around us that, that truly are important uh, and to realize our true relationship to them. It is a difficult thing, uh, but there are a couple of thoughts that I've been sitting with a lot lately, and the first is this. It comes um, from a book called Abandonment to Divine Providence, and it's this, Dominus Est, it is the Lord. Whatever, whatever it is that you're sitting in the midst of, whatever trial you are facing, to recognize, not that God is doing something to you as punishment— not that, oh, you know, and I sat with this a lot in my growing up years, that every bad thing that happened was God getting back at me, but rather to look at all of these hardships, to look at all of the things that cause us stress, all of the events that that make us anxious, and to say, you know what, God is in this, and I might not be able to see it immediately, but I'm going to, to trust that he's here. Dominus est, this looks awful to me. It looks difficult. And yet I'm going to trust that that God is on his throne, but not in some kind of a throw our hands up and be fatalistic about it, rather to turn and to seek diligently to see where God is in that moment and what it is that he wants to draw out of us, what virtue he wants to cultivate in us in that moment. The second thought comes from a book by uh, by Father Jacques Philippe. Uh, the book is called Searching for and Maintaining Peace, which, gosh, we could all use that. And it's a really short book. 
Um, but he starts off with this just really encouraging, uh, it doesn't feel encouraging when you first read it, but, it, but he says this, without me, you can do nothing. In order to understand how fundamental it is for the development of Christian life to strive and to acquire and maintain peace of heart, the first thing he says, which we must be convinced, is that all the good that we can do comes from God and from him alone. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say you can't do much, but you can do nothing. A lot of times we feel a great deal of despair when we recognize that all of our efforts have been in vain. And, and this is um, something that really steals our peace. But what Father Jacques-Philippe is saying to us here is, listen, you shouldn't get overwhelmed or despair when you realize that all of your efforts come to nothing, because Jesus said it right there at the beginning. Apart from him, you can do nothing. There's nothing that I have to offer without being first and foremost attached to, connected to, filled with the Holy Spirit, present with God, right? This is what's required for me to be in any way profitable. A lot of times we look to uh, to our own machinations or to politics or to some other way to get leverage to somehow accomplish something that we'd like to see done. Maybe this is on policy. Uh, maybe this is on uh, a certain way that society we want society to order itself. But we have to realize that God is the one who does every good thing. And yes, we have to participate in the level that we can, but we have to realize that we are not the ones who make the world move. We are sojourners who are here, but we're not attached to here. Our citizenship lies in heaven. And so I want to encourage you to to not to kind of mollify yourself uh, as you look at the political landscape, but rather to trust in the divine providence of God, to seek first and foremost, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things, all these other concerns and worries about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, how we're going to order our society, all of these other things will be given unto us. Seek first the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? Well, there's a number of different ways, but what we're going to focus on today is a step one, right? Last week, we, we heard the reading from the book of First Samuel, where Samuel, who would be the prophet of the Lord, is a young child. He's living and serving in the temple. And there he is uh, doing his, his best to obey and to do the things that he's supposed to do. And it's nighttime and he's asleep. But where is he asleep? He's asleep near the presence of the Lord. And it's there that God calls to him. Well, my question for, for you and my question that I have to ask myself as well as uh, there are all of these temptations to anxiety or stress or, or um, trying to you know, perfectionism, whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, is where am I resting? We put so much energy and effort and attention and thought into where am I working, right? What, what kinds of things am I doing for the kingdom of God? Am I being vigilant enough and working hard enough to bring these things to, to pass? Am I being convincing enough? Am I having the right kinds of discussions so that I can show someone where they're wrong and bring them over to my point of view? Am I, am I doing enough or being loud enough or expressing my opinion enough? But this is not where Samuel 
became the prophet of the Lord, right? Yes, Samuel will get to a place where he was speaking for God to the whole nation. But it started right here. Where am I resting? Am I resting near the presence of God? Am I putting myself in a, in a quiet place close enough to him where I can receive from him, right? Am I resting near the presence of God? There are a lot of different ways you can do this. You can do it through, uh, through going to Mass and being present with him. You can find a place where you can go uh, and, and have Eucharistic adoration. You can do contemplative prayer sitting right on the, on the couch there in your living room. Are you taking time to read the words of sacred scripture, to hear the word of the Lord expressed through the words of these authors of sacred scripture? Are you allowing the words of scripture to wash over you and to refresh you and to put you in the right frame of mind as you hear and receive the things that God has said to reveal himself to us? Lots of different ways that you can find to rest in the presence of the Lord. But I guarantee you, the more we strive and the more we push and the more we work and the harder we try to move society on our own, the more frustrated we're going to end up. We have to start here with rest. And I have this burgeoning uh, spirituality, this burgeoning connection to Benedictine spirituality. And here they have this balance of prayer and work, ora et labora, right? I'm going to go and I'm going to, to pray the prayer of the church all of these hours of the day. And then I'm going to come and I'm also going to, when I work, commit that work to God in prayer. Everything is laid before God as an offering, but it's an offering of close connection. As I read the rule, and I read the rule of St. Benedict with my children, there's a couple of things that I notice. And one of them is this idea that when the abbot gives you instructions, you drop whatever it is that you're doing immediately, and you go and do it. And that's hard for us. It's hard for my kids. It's hard for me as we think of all of the things and the reasons that we should continue to hold on to this thing and to finish this thing, and then I can move on to something else. But that's not what the rule of St. Benedict says, and I think that there's some spiritual benefit for us as we look at this to say, what are the things that I think are super important, but my abbot, my spiritual director, my priest, my God himself is asking me to put down? What are the things that I need to drop right now so that I can focus my attention on the call that's been laid before me? And the call that's been laid before us right now, today, or rather tomorrow, is to begin engaging again with Scripture. Whatever it is that you're doing, drop it, because the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has called us to a day, this third Sunday of ordinary time, to focus on the Word of God given to us in Scripture. This Sunday for the Word of God is an opportunity for us to drop what we're doing and all the things that distract us and turn our attention fully to Him. So today we're going to talk with Dr. Mark Gieschek. He's the Associate Professor of Sacred Scripture at the Augustan Institute just outside of Denver, Colorado. Dr. Gieschek, thank you for being with us today. Hey, it's great to be here. It's always a lot of fun to talk about the Bible. So let's let's get right into it. Tomorrow is Sunday for the Word of God. This was something that was uh, promulgated just, this is our second one, just 
uh, last year was the first one. Uh, it was promulgated right before that, the September before that, in a in a uh, maybe a motu proprio. There, there's all yeah. kinds of different uh, levels of papal pro- proclamation. But Pope Francis declared this in in a motu proprio called uh, Apruit Illis, and I said that wrong, uh, but it's, it's all about confidence, right? If you say it with confidence, everyone is like, "Oh, I didn't realize that's how you said that." Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, so I, I, I think it reflects how um, Pope Francis has a kind of affection for St. Jerome, who's the patron saint of biblical studies. He released this document on St. Jerome's feast day. And then actually in 2020, he released a letter about St. Jerome on St. Jerome's feast day. That was just really wonderful uh, reflection on St. Jerome's life and the meaning of it. So I think um, for Pope Francis, this is part of his spirituality uh, and p- really part of uh, Catholic spirituality as a whole, and particularly, I would say, post-Vatican II, post-Dei Verbum Catholic spirituality, where the church has really been trying to encourage us to, to focus our spirituality on the Word of God, right, and treat the Word of God, the Bible, as a source of spiritual life and sustenance, right? It's there in Dei Verbum, one of the principal documents of the Council. It's there in the pontificate of Paul VI and John Paul II and Benedict. So uh, really the, the popes since Vatican II have really been trying to shift our focus back to sacred scripture so that we might, you know, study it, learn from it, drink, drink from that well. And, uh, you know, the pope himself actually, you know, he, he just instituted this, uh, this new Sunday of the word of God a couple of years ago, but he talked about doing it back during the Jubilee. He, he proposed publicly the idea of a Sunday given over entirely to the word of God. And you might think, well, isn't every Sunday kind of about the word of God? Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. Every Sunday we read the scriptures at mass. Like, why do we need this? And I think from the Pope's perspective, this is really like a, like a, a pastoral uh, focus for him, right? That he wants uh, Catholics uh, to, to be reading the Bible, right? To be reading the Bible, to be studying the Bible, to be learning from the Bible and, and to make it a centerpiece of our spiritual and intellectual formation and not just kind of like, something that's on the shelf or a kind of sideshow. You know, we all, we all have that memory of that giant Bible, right? The, you know, the one it's like four <laughs> inches thick and, and just takes up the whole coffee table and it's out there. And that's like, that's the family Bible. And of course our memory of that family Bible is that it's all covered in dust. And maybe it's got some notes about our family genealogy in the front of it. Cause it belonged to great grandmother some, sometime back. Yeah. Um, and yet that's kind of this picture that we have is that it is something substantial and it's something that is centered, it, that, that everyone can see. It's centered in the middle of the house there on the on the coffee table. But we also know that nobody touches it because if you tear one of those pages, man, you're going to get it. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I grew up Protestant and, you know, third grade, they gave us our own Bibles and mine is just like torn to shreds. I, that, that one's gone. And there's this idea, at least in the tradition I grew up with, that you get a new Bible and you transfer your notes from the old other Bible because you actually write in the thing. Right. And, and then um, you, you're supposed to do your, your daily devotional where you're sitting. And I, I have to admit, um, I never did great with that. Like, it, <laughs> I have people who probably think you, you, you're going to be a great Catholic because of how often you <laughs> pick the Bible up. But there is this sense that we as Catholics hear so much of Scripture at Mass— and we know the rhymes of Scripture, and we know the arcs of Scripture, but we don't 
we're not known for getting our hands dirty and digging into the nuance and digging into um, all of the the particulars of Scripture. And when I was in, in Protestant seminary, one of the things that uh, that my my scripture professor told me is that nothing that's in this book, no detail that's in this book is there by accident because it took resources uh, to, to make and copy these things. So every, every detail is edited for importance. And so looking at scripture with a, with the eyes of, well, here, this, this uh, King said this thing in the sight of the queen well, the, the fact that she's in the scripture at all is not incidental. There's a reason and that it told something to the audience. And so looking at scripture, not necessarily in the meta narrative and the, the really broad strokes, but getting into the nitty gritty is something that I feel not a lot of us know how to do. So obviously with the saints, it was important. St. Jerome moved to Jerusalem so that he could then translate the scriptures appropriately he was invested in it, and he thought it was important enough to to dig into it. It's part of our history to do that, but it's something that maybe we're not as familiar with today. What what would you say to someone who wants to know more about Scripture but just can't get past, I'm reading the readings of the day today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a sense in which before Vatican II and maybe in the kind of Protestant versus Catholic world that we used to live in, there was a kind of sense that, oh, well, the Bible is kind of a Protestant thing. And us Catholics have these other devotions and spiritualities and things that we do. And, you know, by the, we use the Bible, but it's not as important. But I think since Vatican II, there's really been a great growth in biblical studies in the Catholic world. In the academic sense, you know, there've been more programs and, you know, more opportunities academically, but also at the you know, in the Catholic bookstore, you know, the Bible section has gotten a lot bigger since the 1960s. And there's a lot, uh, there are a lot more um, resources available to us to kind of get in. And I think um, the, uh, the mistake that we can make, right, is to just sort of pick up the Bible, start reading wherever, and then just like hope that we'll learn how to swim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But it, but it doesn't really work that way, right? You got to think of the Bible as like a vast ocean. And in order to learn how to swim, right, you need a teacher, you need a guide, you need to start small, uh, and you need to work your way up to more complicated and difficult passages. So I remember, you know, being on campus and uh, there'd be Christian groups handing out the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. right, just as like a booklet. And I feel like that's a really great way to begin, you know, read the Gospel of John. It's very simple, very simple vocabulary. You know, the scenes are very easy to understand, right? And you start to learn who Jesus is by reading the gospel of John. And then maybe you can work your way into the other gospels and then maybe work your way into the book of Acts and work your way into letters of St. Paul. And I think along the way, you know, the hope is that you're, yeah, you're reading the Bible, but you're also going to pick up a few other books, right? A few other, uh, you know, helps along the way. So whether that's a good study Bible or whether that's an introductory book, I like the one um, by Tim Gray and uh, Jeff Cavins called Walking with God which is kind of like an overview of the whole Bible in about 250 pages. But there are a lot of books like that that are really, uh, you know, for beginners, Mm -hmm. right, to help us kind of get in the door of sacred scripture. And then once we get a kind of skeletal grasp of the whole, we can kind of see how the large parts fit together. Then diving into the details at any particular point, uh, I think 
you know, becomes more profitable and not just kind of confusing. There's this, this doctrine uh, in, the, in the Protestant church, in some Protestant churches, it wasn't a part of my tradition, um, but there's this, this thing that's floating out there called uh, the perspicuity of Scripture, that, that there's a belief that some Protestants hold that if you pick up the Bible, you ought to be able to clearly understand everything in it automatically, and it all, all ought to make sense because we have the Holy Spirit, therefore that's how this works. The, the Catholic Church doesn't hold to this belief, uh, that my tradition growing up didn't hold to it either, um, but there's this, um, there's this professor at Wheaton, which is a Protestant school, John, John Wharton, I think is his name, and he says, Scripture is written to, uh, for us, but it wasn't written to us, right? It's written for us, but not to us. And, and I think that that's something important for us to get is that there's a lot of things in here that are, that are inside understood to the author and to the audience that we can look at from the outside and go, huh, that's weird. I wonder why I said that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, it's helpful to remember, especially in reading the letters of the New Testament, that you're reading somebody else's mail, right. you know, it's almost like you popped open the Corinthian mailbox and started reading the letters that are receiving. And you're thinking, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> right. Why is all of this here? And, and I think that for us, you know, um, modern, you know, quantified self, you know, YouTube generation kind of people, it can be a little frustrating. You're like, I want all of the information that's going to help me today, you know, condensed into a very quick two minute video that I'm going to watch in double speed. You know, that's kind of how people think, you know, what, what can I get out of it? Mm -hmm. And I think scripture invites us to think a slightly different way. Um, to, to maybe step back a little bit from the kind of like hyper goal focused world that we often live in uh, and to just think slightly different, think slightly differently, right? To put our feet in someone else's shoes, right? To listen to what's going on and then to start drawing conclusions and lessons for our own life. Uh, this is particularly important with the Old Testament, right? Because the Old Testament is written for God's people but it's God's people under a different covenant, right? Under the old covenant, not under the new covenant. And so the rules are a little bit different. The details of the history are a little bit different and not everything is immediately applicable to my life. And yet to come to understand the Old Testament, understand salvation history, to become deeply familiar with the Old Testament scriptures is to really appreciate who Jesus is, right? What he fulfills, right? And the salvation that he wins for us by his death and resurrection. And I think that the the more we study and learn, I think uh, two things happen, right? One, we realize how much we don't know, mm -hmm. right? Which can be very humbling, but that's really important, right? The, the kind of intellectual humility of learning, oh, I really don't know a whole lot, is very helpful at, at adopting the right attitude, right? And then I think, you know, the more we study and, and learn about sacred scripture, the more all, like the whole picture begins to cohere, right? Everything starts to make sense, because we're, you know, looking at it in its details and we're not just sort of scanning the horizon with binoculars. So in that way, I think that, you know, Bible study calls us to like a, a kind of intellectual patience, right? A kind of intellectual humility and intellectual patience where it's true you might not grab some sort of relevant lesson out of what you're reading today for today that's immediately applicable, right? Uh, it might take a little bit more time of thinking, ruminating, studying, learning, listening in order to get there. Uh, and I think that that's actually really helpful for us, right? That 
I think the, the fast paced world that we lived in, we live in is not necessarily spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. I think there's something really good about being patient enough to read an ancient text, to read it with understanding and, and empathy uh, and to kind of work our way th- through its thoughts toward its conclusions uh, rather than trying to seek like a little scripture nugget that I can take with me and put on a Hallmark card. Mm-hmm. And this this idea of shedding the utilitarian view that we have of the world to say, well, everything's got to have a purpose and otherwise it's not worth keeping around. Yeah. That that there's something to the the formation that scripture does to our spirit, even sometimes imperceptibly to our intellect, that that makes a difference and it is having effect even if we don't grasp the the purpose of it. So, you know, I think of the farmer who goes out to pull to pull an analogy from from some wise person, oh, yeah, the son of God, uh, that it's like the, the word of God going out is like a seed that the sower casts. And you don't necessarily, as the sower, have a, a guarantee that that specific seed is going to produce a specific fruit. Right there, there has to be some faith going on that, hey, I'm going to throw this out there and we're going to see what comes up. And we as the receivers, we as the field, according to that same parable, we have to have this, this same level of trust of, hey, I'm going to go ahead and receive this seed, even if I don't completely understand what kind of seed it is and what its purpose is, but I'm going to see what comes up uh, by, by allowing and tending this this field and intending yeah. this seed. Yeah. And I think when it comes to scripture, to me, it's like there are two different ways in which that happens. Uh, right. One is this is an ancient text or a, a library of ancient texts, if you will, uh, which is a really natural thing, right? So if, if we went back and say studied Plato or Aristotle or Cicero, we might expect to have to adopt some of the same mindset, you know, reading ancient text, it's written in a different language. We have to understand the historical context, has philosophical content. We might have to kind of accommodate ourselves to that text, which, which is a natural intellectual discipline that we're taking on by reading something from the ancient world. But then there's this other element, which I think is what you're referring to, which is that there's a divine guarantee, right, that goes with sacred scripture that makes it different from what's going on in Plato or Aristotle or any other ancient text, right? That the Lord has inspired these words, right? He's inspired the human author, right? And God truly is the author of sacred scripture. And so by reading the words of scripture, we're actually engaging on a spiritual level beyond the merely intellectual practice of reading an ancient text. And so in that way, I think scripture takes us one step further, right? It's not just about learning about history or learning about languages or learning about how ancient literature was produced, even though those things can be very helpful, right? There's the spiritual dimension of it where even if I don't have a lot of knowledge about the ancient world and ancient literary production, I can actually spiritually benefit because the Lord is speaking to my spirit as I read these sacred words. And that's what makes scripture different, right? From other books, right? It's, it's, it really is given to us by God. It really is a gift. And that gift is transformative. It really is meant to change us. We're talking today with Dr. Mark Gieschek, Associate Professor of Sacred Scripture at the Augustan Institute, just outside of Denver, Colorado. Come join the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about your relationship with Scripture. 
There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Dr. Mark Gieschek, who's the Associate Professor of Sacred Scripture at the Augustine Institute. They're just outside of Denver, Colorado. Uh, You may also know about the Augustine Institute from the platform they have, that they equip churches to really dig into the depth of Scripture. It's a platform called Formed, formed formed.org. If your parish does not yet have it, um, go talk to someone there. Make a gift to your parish of this, because it, it, I have to tell you, when I was a DRE, when I was doing the work of faith formation and evangelization at my parish, Formed was central to that. Um, the the Lexio Bible studies on the Eucharist or on uh, the letters of Paul or all these other opportunities to really understand some of the nitty-gritty nuance that mind-blowing details of Scripture of, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was the case here. These things are uh, really unpacked for you by uh, by the professors and the staff of the Augustine Institute through this video, audio, and digital book platform that is just an amazing value for your parish. So please go check that out. Dr. Gieschek did not ask me to say that, but <laughs> having having used it personally in a number of my parishes, I can't recommend it highly enough. Dr. Gieschek, thank you again for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, I, I love form too. And uh I hope that uh, it'll be a great benefit to many people around the world uh, as they want to learn more about their Catholic faith. So the Sunday for the Word of God uh, is an opportunity for us to put our eyes on sacred scripture. The Catechism says that all of sacred scripture is expounding on the single utterance of God, and that single utterance of God is Jesus himself, the Word of God made flesh. So I'm curious if there's a a picture that you could give us of how all of Scripture, even those really difficult, dark passages of Scripture or these passages in the Old Testament that are difficult to understand, how they can help us understand Christ better, keeping in mind that axiom of St. Jerome that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. How can this knowledge of these uh, nuances and dark passages and hard-to-understand things in Scripture help us more fully know who Christ is? Yeah. Uh, another way the catechism puts that same principle is in uh, paragraph 134. All sacred scripture is but one book, mm-hmm. and this one book is Christ. I just love that. It's so great. Uh, and, you know, if you think about the word university, I think it helps um, helps us hone in on what's going on here, right? That uh, on the one hand, you have a diversity of ideas and topics at a university, right? You have an anthropology department and a science department and literature department and so forth. But on the other hand, there's that element at the beginning, right? Uni, right? One. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of unity of all knowledge, of all truth, and yet there's a diversity of topics. And I think that um, this doctrine about scripture being one and this one book being Christ Uh, is the same kind of concept, right? That with our minds, we can basically do two things, right? We can pick things apart or we can put them together, right? And I think a lot of times uh, biblical scholars can be accused of sort of picking things apart 
and never really putting them back together, right? Mm -hmm. Dissecting the animal, but not really understanding how it functions. And um, the church is pointing us toward a kind of unified view of all knowledge, that the point of reading scripture isn't just to analyze the layers of redaction in the book of Isaiah, right? The point of reading scripture isn't just to theorize about, you know, the practice of oral traditions in first century Greco-Roman Judaism, right? That's, I mean, those might be helpful background topics, but if it never actually comes back to the person of Jesus and his power to transform me and to save me from my sin, then we've missed the boat, right? We're just literally playing in a sandbox. We have no idea what's going on. And so I think the church is constantly directing us back to Jesus, the one word of God, right? The definitive revelation of the Father, because it's in him that, that our life is changed and transformed. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't believe that, if we're not, if, if we're not sort of making all of our study trend toward Christ, then we're just playing a game, right? We're just in a religious studies class or whatever. And I, I feel like there's, there's a kind of uselessness to that. You know, uh, the idea that academics are just picking things apart. I think that there's another side to that as well. And that's the people who would say, well, academics take away from scripture and, and it's, we, we don't need to do any academics at all. And rather, we should just see that the Bible has the answers for everything. And I think mm -hmm. that that does injustice the other direction by saying, by, by putting on scripture something that it's not, by trying mm -hmm. to make it, make it a, a, a textbook or a strict history book in the way that we understand history today, or in some way try to um, to decipher all that we know about every situation that we would face out of Scripture, whereas Scripture has a, a really a very particular job, and that's a letter to the people of God about God's desire for us and about the salvation our need for a salvation and the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's true, right? That sometimes people treat the Bible like an answer book, mm -hmm. right? Or it's like, oh, well, we'll look up the two passages that happen to mention birds. And then like, we're going to know everything we need to know. And it's like, well, no, actually we need, you know, biologists <laughs> to go out there and observe all the birds and catalog them for us. And otherwise we won't know a whole lot. And mm -hmm. so I think that's where, you know, the Catholic church's embrace of philosophy I think is really helpful that mm -hmm. we realize that scripture doesn't give us all the information about everything, right? It gives us uh, the story of Jesus. It gives us the gospel. It gives us the revelation of God. And yet there's some work that we need to do before we get to scripture, right? Mm -hmm. There's some work we need to do thinking about where does everything come from? Where is everything going? Who am I, right? How did I get here? Uh, and those questions of what you might call philosophy of religion are really important for us to think about uh, and to contemplate along with studying scripture. And we can't really treat scripture as a kind of encyclopedic reference book for all knowledge of all time. It just doesn't really work that way, right? It, it really is, you know, the revelation of God to his people in ancient times uh, through history and law and poetry and prophecy and letter writing and apocalypse. Um, and while it's wonderful and it's a giant library of material and it's inspired by God, it's not uh, complete. You know, it doesn't give us all knowledge, right? There are other areas that we need to explore in order to, you know, uh, reach after God. So I think you're right that um, we need to have uh, a love for sacred scripture, but we also need to be aware of our own limitations and the limitations of sacred scripture 
right? That, that we can't, um, we can't presume that scripture is going to give us an easy answer for every difficult problem. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, scripture attests to this itself, as you know, John says, uh, I could not write enough books just to tell you of the things that Jesus did, much less everything else. Uh, right. Ecclesiastes says of the writing of books, there is no end and <laughs> excessive, excessive learning is wearisome. And so uh, there's certainly all of these things to take into account. Uh, with that idea that, of course, there's always another book and there's always more to learn, you, with uh, with your, your PhD, who teaches Scripture all the time, when you come and you sit down with Scripture, uh, there's all kinds of different ways that we can approach it. There's Lexio Divina, there's um, uh, digging into a historical critical, there's all kinds, you know, looking at the, uh, the the language that was used by the author, all kinds of different ways that you could sit down and say, I'm going to read the Bible today, mm-hmm. devotional, academic, so forth, so on. And then not only that, there's a number of different writers, a number of different books, a number of different topics that you could approach in any one of those things. So when Dr. Mark Giesjek sits down and he decides that he's going to read the Bible today, um, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch that happens before you open it up. Decisions about what style and what book and what topic and what thing grabs your interest rather than the old thumb flip method where you thumb through the pages and put your finger down and just read there. I mean, that's some people do that. What do you do as your process for discerning how I'm going to read the Bible today? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would consider myself a model in this regard. You know, oftentimes I'm frantically preparing for the next class I'm going to teach or, uh, you know, or I'm writing about a particular section of sacred scripture and diving deep into, into there. But maybe one way that, that I think about it is uh, fast or slow, right? Mm-hmm. Am I going to read quickly or am I going to read slowly? And, uh, you know, so if I'm going to lecture on Jeremiah, you might find me in my office listening to Jeremiah on double speed you know, as I'm preparing for class, you know, just trying to get all the content in my head at once. Um, but, you know, hopefully there are quieter moments where, you know, I'm comparing different translations. I'm looking at the original language, trying to understand just a single verse uh, as deeply as I can. <clears throat> I think one of the things that I've come to realize <clears throat> as a scripture scholar, you know, when you open up five or 10 different commentaries all at once on the same passage, and you start reading all the comments, you start to realize, you know, a lot of these scholars are saying the same things, right? There's a kind of overlap. And so you kind of get a sense that um, uh, while there's a wealth of knowledge, right, that is in the library and in all of these commentaries and books about sacred scripture, there is also a kind of essential knowledge mm-hmm. that they all share. And uh, so when I, you know, read that way, when I'm reading the Bible with a bunch of commentaries, I'm really trying to look for, you know, what is it that that everybody agrees on? What is it that that's really here, right? And then kind of use that to, to to kind of go to the next level, right? And understand like, well, you know, what is God really saying, right? What does this passage really mean? And then how does it affect me and my life? So I don't know if that if that helps kind of answer how I how I go about it. But I guess fast and slow is the way I like to think about it, right? Either I'm reading fast or I'm reading slow. Uh, and, you know, hopefully the Lord can use both of those. Yeah. We've talked on here before about some various commentaries that, that I recommend to people. We've talked about the Catina Aria uh, and reading this 
this golden chain of the church fathers talking about the gospels. Do you have a, a commentary or two that are kind of your go-to favorite ones that, that really expound on scriptures and help you to understand better what the words of scripture are saying? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, um, I feel like every commentary series is a little bit uneven. You know, some, some of the volumes are stronger than others. Um, but I think, you know, the commentary series that I would recommend to most Catholics most of the time is the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. Now, of yeah. course, I've just become an editor of that series. Oh, so well, there you go. maybe I'm a little bit biased. Okay. Uh, we've produced 17 volumes on the new mm. Testament. And now we're working on the old Testament. So I think it's a great uh, first place to go in that it's, it's going to give you uh, uh, an introductory reading of the text uh, that is written by scholars, but for priests and uh, catechists and other teachers. So it's, it's not quite at the level of, I mean, some of these commentaries, you open them up uh, and I mean, I was just working through one this morning and oh my goodness, you know, you've got on one page, you have 80 references to classical literature and nothing else. Yeah. And you're thinking like, I don't really want to go read Pindar or whatever. <laughs> like that's just not what I'm into right now. Uh, and so there's a, there's a bevy of information, yeah. but a real lack of explanation in many commentaries. And I think where the Catholic commentary and sacred scripture and other, you know, well done commentaries, you know, excel is in explaining and informing, but not uh, being too zealous about providing thousands and thousands of references. Yeah. And of course, that's that's a great series. You've got um, Dr. Mary Healy, Dr. Peter Williamson, a number of others who just spend really their time training priests and seminaries and do a fantastic job of putting it in a level that's understandable. So I'd, I'd concur with that. Um, yeah, I mean, another great Catholic resource is the Navarre Bible, mm-hmm. you know, from, uh, I think it's the, it's a faculty in Spain, and they do a, a great job of introducing quotations from the early church fathers. Mm-hmm. There are also lots of quotations from St. Jose Maria Escriva, right, because yeah. it's an Opus Dei project. Um, and so it, it has some real virtues uh, and is worth consulting. So the last thing I want to do, there's also, you mentioned earlier in the episode, lots of different versions of scripture that we now have access to, that we have yeah. always, lots of Catholic editions that are out there and available. And you're helping distribute one of those here in the United States through the Augustine Institute, which is the English Standard Version Catholic Edition. I remember when the ESV came out, uh, I was in Protestant seminary and I went out and I bought my first copy and I was so excited. It was one of the hardest things about becoming Catholic is that I had to give up my ESV. I had to go and find one of the approved translations because there was missing books. And so here now we have this uh, and put together by the Bishop's Conference in India, but now through the Augustine Institute, it's being made available here in the United States. What is the benefit of the ESV in terms of readability and accuracy and whatever else that would make you promote that out in the world? Yeah. So the ESV Catholic edition came out in 2018. The Augustine Institute is publishing it in North America but you're right. Originally, it was a Protestant translation that came out in 2001 from Crossway Books. And now it's been approved by the Catholic bishops of India, and it's in accord with Liturgium Authenticum. And now it's actually being read aloud uh, at Mass in the lectionary in India uh, as of uh, Palm Sunday of last mm-hmm. year. What I like about the ESV is that it is an essentially literal translation. So it seeks to be as transparent as possible to the original languages so it's not going to trick you. A lot of times Bible translations will, oh, I don't know, maybe translate a phrase with some other phrase in English or will translate 
um, you know, one word in a bunch of different ways and different contexts. And the ESV really tries to go word for word mm -hmm. uh, and just render what's in the Greek and Hebrew into the English step-by-step, word-for-word, as clearly as possible. Now, of course, it's in that strain of Bible translations that starts with the King James, right? So you've got the King James and then the, the uh, ASV and the EV and the R RSV, right? Uh, and so the ESV is an alternative revision of the RSV. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't follow the NRSV, but it revises the RSV, changes about 8% of the text. Um, and so in that way, it's familiar, right? A lot of the phrases sounds like, oh yeah, that sounds like Bible to me. Right. And yet it's fresh, right? It's updated with the newest manuscript uh, information. Uh, and it offers, you know, uh, what I consider, you know, very accurate translation. Uh, and yet it's still formal English. You know, I, I think of this phrase that the Italians have, uh, traditore, traditore, which means that yeah. the, the translator is the traitor. Um, I grew up on the NIV and it, and it came to my knowledge later that every time in scripture, that uh, this particular word in the Greek was rendered in a negative light, they translated that word tradition. And every time it was translated in a positive light, they translated that very same word as teachings, as mm -hmm. if to say that all tradition is bad. And, and so that was a, a hurdle uh, to my coming into the church at one point, because, you know, mm -hmm. sacred tradition is a big thing for us, and, and the Bible says tradition is bad. So the, tr the translation really does matter because it shapes not only how we read something, but how we think about something. Yeah. Yeah, no, translations matter a lot, uh, especially because, you know, most of us aren't reading scripture in Hebrew and Greek all the time. Right. And, uh, so this is why, you know, the church is really diligent about translations, whether it be the liturgy or the lectionary. Uh, and bishops have a lot of conversations about translation. And English in particular is really important because English is the most widely spoken language on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So getting the translation in English right is very, very important for the universal church. Um, it's uh, Archbishop Arthur Roche at the... Uh, Congregation on Divine Worship, who likes to say English is the new Latin, yeah. uh, which I just think is a really wonderful way of thinking about it, right? This is why the English translation is so important. And I think the ESV goes a long way to, pro to providing a very solid, uh, formal English translation that people can trust. You can get your copy of the ESVCE by going to catholicbible.org. It's also available on the Verbum platform. Dr. Gieschek, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Mark Gieschek from the Augustan Institute, maybe you want to share it with your friends on social media. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can also find extra segments available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Right there in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and you will find a treasure trove of extra segments. Now let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com. Try it free for 30 days. Also, right now, as we're celebrating and, and marking the Sunday for the Word of God, there are a number of versions of the Bible that are there on sale, including the ESVCE. Go ahead and pick up your copy today. Our reading from Scripture today comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to read this out of the ESVCE. Beloved, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from the book of First Peter, and gosh, this is so important for us as we're faced with such uh, opportunity and invitation to dissension, to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. It's easy to let our emotions get out of control. It's easy to let the things that are out there goading us, uh, to let them win and for our emotions to come over and, and overtake our better judgment. But we're told multiple times in Scripture, and Peter himself, St. Peter, exhorts us to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers and to love one another earnestly and to show hospitality and to serve one another through the gifts that God has given us. So I want to, I'm, I'm just going to let that speak for itself, but this is one I, I'm going to sit with this week and I want to invite you to do as well, just to maybe revisit it each morning and listen to those words again. And maybe turn them into a prayer. Dear God, help me to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Help me to, above all, to keep loving those around me earnestly, even especially when I disagree with them. Help me to show hospitality without grumbling. Help me to do these things and to serve in, in such a way that you would be glorified in all things. Man, if we focused on that for a week, if we just meditated on that, what kind of difference would that make in our life? As, as Dr. Mark Gieschek said earlier in the show, Scripture is meant to be transformative. And if we sit with this and if we pray with this, be careful because it will do that which for which it was set out. It will be transformative in your life. Today's reading from church history comes from uh, the breviary from the, the Feast of St. Jerome. And we talked about St. Jerome a little bit earlier. It's jumping up to September 30th, but it's such a good reading and applicable for today. You've heard the quote, you probably have, have repeated the quote yourself from St. Jerome, that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. But there's so much more to that quote, and we're going to read this today. It's from the prologue on the Commentary on Isaiah by St. Jerome. I interpret, as I should, following the command of Christ. Search the Scriptures, and seek, and you shall find. Christ will not say to me what he said to the Jews, You erred not knowing the Scriptures, and not knowing the power of God. For if, as Paul says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and if the man who does not know Scripture does not know the power and wisdom of God, then ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Therefore, I will imitate the head of a household who brings out of his storehouse things both new and old, and says to his spouse in the Song of Songs, I have kept for you things new and old, my beloved. In this way, permit me to explain Isaiah, showing that he was not only a prophet, but an evangelist and an apostle as well. For he says about himself and the other evangelists, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach 
good news of those who announce peace. And God speaks to him as if he were an apostle. Whom shall I send? Who will go to my people? And he answers, Here I am. Send me. No one should think that I mean to explain the entire subject matter in this great book of Scripture in one brief sermon, since it contains all the mysteries of the Lord. It prophesies that Emmanuel is to be born of a virgin and accomplish marvelous works and signs. It predicts his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead as the Savior of all men. I need say nothing about the natural sciences, ethics, and logic. Whatever is proper to Holy Scripture, whatever can be expressed in human language and understood by the human mind, is contained in the book of Isaiah. Of these mysteries, the author himself testifies when he writes, You shall be given a vision of all things, like words in a sealed scroll. When they give the writings to a wise man, they will say, Read this. And he will reply, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when the scroll is given to an uneducated man and and he is told, Read this, he will reply, I do not know how to read. Should this argument appear weak to anyone, let him listen to the apostle. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others interpret. If, however, a revelation should come to one of those who are seated there, let the first one be quiet. How can they be silent, since it depends on the Spirit who speaks through his prophets whether they remain silent or speak? If they understood what they were saying, all things would be full of wisdom and knowledge. But it was not the air vibrating with a human voice that reached their ears, but rather it was God speaking within the soul of the prophets. Just as another prophet says, it is an angel who spoke in me, and again, crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father, and I shall listen to what the Lord God says within me. That reading comes from the the introduction to the commentary on Isaiah from St. Jerome. Uh, come, we read it from the breviary, from the, the, um, the Liturgy of the Hours, out of the Office of Readings on September 30th, the Feast of St. Jerome. Now, there's, there's a lot here. The first and foremost is here, uh, St. Jerome, who gave us the Vulgate, who translated the Scriptures into the common tongue, the vulgar tongue, right? This Vulgate, as it were, um, he is telling us the importance of commentaries. Here is he's writing a commentary as he's coming and interpreting the Scriptures for the people of God of his time. And he's saying, this is the reason we're doing the commentary, because it's more than just the words on the page. As we come to understand the depths of Scripture and the nuance of Scripture, we come to know Christ himself, the power and the wisdom of God. And it's not enough just to know how to read and to look at the plain words on the page, but we need to come at this with deeper understanding. And he attempts to do that through this commentary. It's a fantastic one. You should get a hold of it. Uh, But there are so many others who can unpack the words of God for us today. A couple got mentioned earlier today um, by Dr. Mark Gieschek, uh, the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. Um, I would say also the Sacropagina. And all of these are available in verbum. Uh, That's how I read my commentaries as I study the Scriptures. And I encourage you to do the same. 
That's all the time we have today. Today's show is brought to you by Richard Jones and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing? God alone suffices.